welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. I don't know why y'all are sitting down. How long y'all have been with me? And you know, that's why he stopped when he was about to say sit down. I was like, they know better than that. They know how we roll. They know how we roll. It's one of the most old school parts of the gathering that we have left. I think what's one of the great ways to keep some of those good um, traditions that the church has taught us in reverence to the word. How many of y'all like standing for the reading of the word? Oh, that's weak then. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm about to... I'm going to try this one more again. Y'all not going to do this to me, third service. Today, how many of y'all like standing for the Word of God? Amen, amen, amen. Good stuff, family. Let's dig in. First Timothy, we're in our series two, the book of First Timothy on order in the church. Uh, chapter two, verses one through eight. One, two, three, go berserk. Yeah. Amen, amen, amen for our time together in our series on order in the church. This segment, we will, want, we will name it this, a church that prays together gets breakthroughs together. A church that prays together gets breakthroughs together. Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only son and our Lord, we, uh, we uh, position ourselves under you today to be enthralled by you, Lord God, enthralled by your mercy, enthralled by your grace, and enthralled by your strength, and enthralled by the reality of the fact that we are made new because of you. And there are expectations of newness. These expectations of newness are not meritorious, but they are just outgrowths of the reality of you saving us and redeeming us and purchasing us. And so we're not required anything for salvation. Uh, we are not uh, 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 to build ourselves up in our most holy faith on our own, but you are the one that meets us and utilizes the means of grace to draw us near to you as we draw near to you, Lord God. So I pray that you would make this message clear and that people would understand what's going on in this text and that it would take root in their lives. Like the song said, that we may hide your word in our heart, 
that euphemism doesn't mean we hide it away as if it's a hidden treasure that will never be brought out. But the idea, God, is just for us to have it in our hearts so that it may be a part of our heart. And so, God, make the word of God a part of our heart. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. A church that prays together gets breakthroughs together. Um, this, uh, rea- there's a reality that we need to recognize is that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died so that you and I could experience the extinguishing of the wrath of God. That extinguishing of the wrath of God gives us the ability to no longer experience God's holiness in a negative light towards us. It's not negative because it's positive. I'm using that terminology and vernacular for human sake. Uh, but so we don't get the wrath part of God's holiness. We get the imputation of God's holiness by the power of the Spirit. Um, <laughs> however, we can't reduce salvation um, merely uh, to substitutionary atonement. Because salvation is more than Jesus Christ being a substitute for us on the cross. That is an aspect of atonement, but it's not the only part of atonement. Atonement also brings with it spoils. And one of those spoils is an open heaven. And that reality of an open heaven now gives us as believers the ability to bombard the throne of grace and talk to God. I want you to really understand the weight of the statement that you get to talk to God. I, 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 don't know, I don't know if that registers that you have the attention of the superstar of the universe. I, I, I can remember um, I, was, I was at Universal Studios. Um, I, I went over there while my family told me just go out, and I, we went out by myself, and I was at Universal Studios hanging on the outskirts of Universal Studios, and Jackie Chan was walking past. And I was like, Jackie Chan? I'm looking at, I said, that's him. Like, that's him, him. And I'm, I'm like, you know, trying to get all up in, and Jackie just walking past, he, you know, he ain't pay me no mind. The, the guards is like this, and they're trying to stay like, like that. And I was like, Man, you know, it was interesting. I would have loved to have taken a picture. And I was so frustrated that I didn't get a selfie with Jackie Chan. And it's funny. We'll go through all of that for people who ignore us. But the superstar of the universe who has an open-door policy for you, who created everything, he created the person that you want to take a selfie with. God didn't just take a selfie with you. He took up residence in you. And now that he's taken residence up in you, Many of us as believers don't maximize our fellowship with God. Prayer is one of those things. The reason why the temple was torn from top to bottom is because the holiest of holies was not just only the place for the high priest. It was now for the priesthood. And so now us as the brand spanking new royal priesthood, we have access. Somebody say access. Now you got access to God. But many of us don't recognize what's up under the hood. 
Let me see if I can make it plain. Um, there were two cars. There was one little shabby car, you know, over here on the left and on the right, it was this rum rum muscle joint, like from the 60s. You know, the 60s was the beast mode time for the muscle car. I don't know if y'all know nothing about that. Big stack wheels on the back. You understand? When you press the, when you press the accelerator, the wheels spin out and then it takes off. That's how you know the joint is fast. And so they sit beside each other about the race. The big cars are rum, 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 doing this thing. You know, it got a 356 in it, something like that. You know, somebody don't even know what I'm talking about right now. But that's the level of the Hemi on the, uh, 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 on, under the joint. Woo! I'm talking that talk now. And then, um, then on the other side, you had this other car. And Shorty just went, he just did a little buzz buzz on him. You understand what I'm saying? But on this side, money was doing a crazy revving up of the car. And then they took off, and as they took off, he, did, he only had a 356. This one had a 480 up under this mug. And you gotta, if you understand car language, that's a whole different monstrosity. This little mug went, whoa, whoosh, and took off. And the other guy with all of the noise under his hood didn't understand why that car that didn't look like much took off better than him. And it was because he didn't understand that he had something better under his hood than he had under his hood. And what he had under his hood, he had confidence in where he didn't have to rev up the engine real loud because he was confident that once he pressed on the pedal, he was going to get to his destination faster than he got to the destination. Prayer is the mechanism for you to recognize there's more to you than meets the eye. There's some stuff under the hood that the gospel of Jesus Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, has brought into your life and has taken residence in you. That's why the Bible says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness may be of God and not ourselves. So why is that important? Paul thinks it's very important in this passage. He takes the path. This is the most non, like the Bible isn't individualistic. Western culture, we're very individualistic. And, what, and, and, it, and it hurts us because we're so individualistic, we don't understand the power of community. We don't understand the power of gathering as saints. We don't understand the power of, of, of I'm going to use, I'm going to date myself, of Voltroning ourselves together. You understand what I'm saying? Voltroning together and being more powerful together than separate. Paul puts this weird text in the middle of a book on church order. I don't even understand. It's kind of weird. But what's funny is the Holy Spirit does things that seem weird, but it has great placement. First chapter, first part of the chapter, first chapter, talks about false teachers sitting them down and putting up proper teachers. <coughs> Latter part of that chapter talks about um, proper usage of the law. After this, it's going to talk about the role of women in church gatherings. And then it's going to talk about the uh, 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 ecclesiological leadership in chapter 3. And, and then chapter 4 is going to talk about false teachers and put them on blast and then the role of leadership in engaging false teaching and widows and it's going to go on to the rich. It's a huge book. But in the middle of chapter uh, 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 1 and chapter uh, 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 3 is a passage on prayer in a church and a passage in a book on church order. Why in the world would you put a passage on corporate prayer in the midst of false teaching and church order? It's, it's actually beautiful because we've got to recognize that most of the greatest stuff, if you do a biblical theology of the prayer lives of the people of faith from Genesis to Revelation, you will see such a beautiful legacy of what God does when God's people decide they're not going to allow themselves or culture to remain the same. Which brings me to my first point. If you are going to be a church 
that praise together and get breakthroughs together. Number one, we must recognize that we must build a culture of prayer in the church. We must build a culture of prayer in the church. Look at verse one. It says, first of all, then, I urge that petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for everyone. What I like about this passage is Paul doesn't put any of these things in singular. He puts them in plural. He says petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. He puts these in the plural and not the singular because he wants us to know that prayer is a constant disposition of the believer. Of Romans chapter 12, verse 12, C part says, be persistent in prayer, right? The Bible says in James chapter 5, be fervent in prayer, right? First Thessalonians chapter 5, in one of the 20-something verses, says, pray without ceasing. So in Luke 18, verse 1, it says, Jesus taught them a parable in order that they may learn to pray and not faint. I like this because Paul breaks down the culture of prayer in these plurals that's interesting. Number one, he says petitions. Someone say petitions. Petitions means a childlike asking of someone in authority. That's what petitions mean. It's like a child confidently asking a parent for something. That's what a petition is. It's, 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 it's beautiful. It's like my kids. They know how to petition me. Over and over and over and over and over. You, you, you have a, you, if you're a parent, you know you got the, you got the gift of ignoring. <laughs> you got the, that gift of ignoring. Their kids ask you, and they keep asking you. You finally say yes. It's kind of like that idea, but what's the idea here of persistence is not twisting God's arm. <clears throat> it's the sense in which the child doesn't understand how big what they're asking for is they just know the one who they're asking should be able to do it. Oh, that's, good. That, that, that's the system. That's the system. Well, my kid, my, my son, my, 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 my second oldest, you know, I don't know what he's been listening to recently. I, he, he come up to me talking about, Dad, I want some drip. I'm like, you 11. What you know about some drip, boy? And he, and he, said, he said, Dad, you know, go to King of Prussia Mall, you know, and get some of that, get some of that Gucci drip. Like, Gucci? I'm like, shorty, what size your shoes are? I said, man, do you know how much Gucci drip? Gucci drip costs $795 worth of drip. I said, your feet ain't long enough for that kind of drip, and my money ain't either, so we're going to have to get some Nike drip. We're going to have to get some Adidas drip, right? But what's interesting, what's interesting, though, in his mind, he wasn't thinking money. He was thinking provider resource. So, so that he, he's not thinking about what it takes to get that much money, how much we gonna, if, how we going to be looking crazy, spending 700 some dollars on some sneakers, but he's not looking about it. See, that's the, but the disposition is not of him asking, of, of a petitioner asking an earthly parent. The disposition is of asking an eternal father. We're supposed to go to God. See, see, this is how adults think through prayer. Like, we want to pray for something. Well, like, we want to start a school at the pivot. Well, how are we going to start a school? Where the money going to come from? You know, where the teachers going to come from? Are we, is it going to be a charter school or is, going to be a, or is it going to be a private school? If it's a private school, how are we going to constantly fund that? If it's a charter school, will we be able to share the gospel? And what are the chairs going to look like? And what the, it's just going to do everything. See, a child doesn't think about the obstacles it takes to get something done. The, 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 it doesn't mean you don't count the cost of what something 
takes to get done because the Bible teaches us that. But there's this disposition when you're petitioning to God that when you're asking him in a way that you know that there's nothing too hard for him, and because there's nothing too hard for him, you're not, you're not acting. When you come before him, there's this disposition that he's so powerful that he's able to do it, and your obstacles are but a fading glory in the light of who he is. Petition. But then he says prayers. Go back to the prayer series and look at all types of prayers. Now look at intercession. Intercession. Somebody say intercession. Intercession means to not pray for yourself but pray for somebody else. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, it has the idea of travailing on somebody else's behalf. The idea of travailing is, I, I, I will talk about that in a second. <laughs> but, but when we talk about intercession, you know, in the old church, the intercessory prayer people, they were called the prayer warriors. You know, they were the special people that we believe were a special group of people that they can get a, get a prayer through kind of thing. You know, when they pray, God listens, like there's a gift of prayer. There's no gift of intercession in the Bible. Show it to me. There's no gift of prayer in the Bible. One, 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 one professor said it like this. He said, God doesn't have favorites, but he does have intimates. <laughs> I love that. Because, because what he was saying to us is he was saying, <laughs> God doesn't have favorites because all of us come to him the same way. He has intimates, though, people who are who maximize their fellowship life with him in a way where they get intimate with him and they are willing to break through the barriers of prayer differently than other people. Many of us, some of us, when we pray going on, we're looking all around, we yawning, we waiting for it to be over. But a prayer warrior, a person that has spent time with God, enjoys being in his presence, so you kind of got to stop them from praying. Instead of, like, like some of us say, oh, will they stop? Because you know, usually, if your disposition is you want prayer to be over quick, you don't pray much. And, and, so, and so the prayer warrior is, the, is just what we all are supposed to be, an intercessory. Now, this is important <clears throat> because Paul is pointing them in a, he's building in the passage to help them to have a larger directory within their framework for why and who they pray for. Now, now, now watch it in a second. But then he says thanksgivings. I like that. Thanksgivings is treating prayer like you're not entitled to anything. You know, you know, um, I, I, you know, people be praying, God, and I said, give it to us now, right now. I'll be like, you wildin'. All that right now? Do it now. I'll be like, let your kids say to you, do it now. Yell at you. You're gonna get, they're going to get slaptified, right? <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? You can't even talk to your parents like that, even as an adult. Somebody, Dad, do it now. He said, uh, you old now, but I, I will pull, this belt, pull that belt off it. You, <laughs> you know, right? Right. There, there's a disposition, though, of Thanksgiving that I like the old church, how I used to pray the thanksgiving. And God, at the end of the prayer, that, that's how you know they know how to pray. They pray that thing down. They praise and thanksgiving, uh, confession and repentance, uh, prayers and supplications. Then at the end, they say, God, and you said in your word, be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication, hey, hey, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God in the peace of God. That's a path. God, we thank you for what you did for us, God. We thank you for what you're doing for us, God. But oh, God, we thank you for yet what you're going to do. In Jesus, you can feel the Holy Ghost on that thing, don't you? Some of y'all are like, I don't even shout, but I'm about to shout right now, right? 
Why? Because, because there was this godly expectancy in prayer like, God, I don't know how this is going to work out, but we're thanking you for the jigsaw puzzle of life that you're working out. And I'm just going to thank you. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. I'm just thanking you that you're going to do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like the way that sounds, right? And so when you move forward in the text real nice like, <coughs> we see something you may be mad at me in this next section for. Y'all ready for it? Okay, it's the word now. Just remember, I'm preaching the Bible. Look at me. I'm preaching the Bible. See, when you do verse by verse, you got to preach it all. Somebody say, preach it all. Next point. Let's see if you say that at the end of this. We must pray for leaders we like and don't like. Uh-oh. Let's let's allow that real quick. We got to pray for people we like and don't like. Now, now, before you get sedity about where you think I'm going, let me just tell you the type of leaders that the people of God have been under for years. It says, make petitions for kings and authorities. So when you talk about kings, they were under monarchy. They went under, like, let's go to vote at the, the synagogue. There wasn't no voting, like, for Caesar. I want you to just wrap your mind around that, right? Their political system was different. So you had Pharaoh, you had Sennacherib, you had Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Darius, Artaxerxes, Asuerius, Caesar, Nero, and Constantine. You understand? Now, Nero was the one he was telling them to pray for. Nero. Now, if you didn't know anything about Nero, Nero was impaling people through here on sticks, alive, greasing them down with oil, setting them on fire to light his camp at night. He said, pray for him. Now, I don't know if you know or not, we ain't had nobody like that. No, 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 no. we ain't had nobody like that as a whole. You understand? We have some bad situations. We ain't have Nero, right, just going into other countries, just taking their stuff publicly. You know, we know America, you know. Um, but we talking about publicly, you know. <laughs> so why do I say all this based on him saying, pray for, make petitions? He said, make petitions? This is crazy. Make petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgivings for these kings and authorities. Ain't that crazy? So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and tranquility. Let's, let's, let's break this down. Trump. Now, I've heard preachers say, I ain't praying for Trump. I heard them say it. I'm like, you can't say that. Now, I don't like him. I'm not Democratic or Republican. I'm theocratic. Some of y'all don't even know what that is. God rule government, baby. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, uh, um, but but, but I'm, I'm neither because neither the conservatives or the liberals embody biblical politics. Now, somebody's saying politics isn't in the Bible. When God calls himself a king, that's politics. When Jesus says he's coming back and his kingdom is not in this world, he's a politician. It's just that he don't politic for his role. He just is. And we can go through and all the kingdoms are named based on the direction of, and time periods are named based on monarchs and in place. So for me, you know, none, none of the, the liberals aren't as about justice as they say. And the conservatives 
aren't, aren't as about biblical values as they try to communicate. They're unbiblical and they're not biblical at all. Either are biblical and neither are monolithic. And, and so, and, and they're not enough for me to know what in the world to vote for. But what I can do is I can pray for them, and that means that I can be a part of the political process because the Bible commands us to submit to government in Romans 13. So one of the ways to submit to government is by voting. Those are things that we should do in this culture. We should give taxes. We can't say that we, you know, I, I'm not giving, ta- now God says render the seat. But, but, but let's go back to Trump. I don't like him. And I, I don't, I, and listen, I didn't like all of Obama's um, executive orders. Just because somebody black, I'm not going to make them an avatar and worship their image just because they're black. See, sometimes black people can get colorblind when somebody's black in a role and we can't give godly critiques of them because we're, we've been black whispered. <laughs> Ain't nobody going to talk back right there. Y'all get mad at me and be woke all you want, all right? It, it, it's, it's redeemed woke and, or not woke at all. Amen. All right. um, and, 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 so, and so, but on both ends, we got to pray for both of them, even though we don't like things about them. So that means that we, that we as believers have to be committed to that. Now, what's something bigger is going on, though? God never, ever needed political legislation to institute his sovereignty. Never. Let me explain something to you. <laughs> we vote. We do all of that. But God has never, listen. Most of the time, God worked in spite of who was in office. Most of the time, when there was a king, like, if it was up to Pharaoh, they wouldn't have got, but God, listen, God will make a leader do what he wants him to do and her, even if they refuse to. God, the Bible says in Proverbs, the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord, and he can turn it where he wants to. And so how does that happen, though? It happens in prayer. Because guess what? One of the things that we see in the Bible is we see people in the Bible praying and shifting kingdoms. Shifting kingdoms. Look at godly Esther. Godly Esther. Her, her, her uncle said, uh, uh, you need to pray for the Jews. And she was like, okay. She went and did it. And she even called a fast herself and went before the Lord and prayed. And then God lined everything up for her to be able to go in and be a type of Christ for her people. Nehemiah utilized his governing authority and the position that God had put him in in order to get a governmental grant from Artaxerxes. From a godless king, God can make a godless king invest in the kingdom. That's all biblical stuff. Ezra and them, when Darius sent them out, guess what? It's, he, he made an edict where God told him to send them out and to send them with gold and silver and resources so that they can build the temple and do what God has called them to do. Listen, where government is on God's side, we can partner. Where it's not, we protest. And so where it doesn't align, we go into prayer and we got to shift it. That means that what we see over here is when we see kings in place, based on Daniel chapter 12, verses 12 through 14, guess what we got to recognize? <coughs> is that there are demonic spirits and fallen sons of God behind every major governing authority. When you look at, when you look at Daniel chapter 12, and you look at what happened in Daniel 12, or it's Daniel, no, it's Daniel 10, 12 through 14, 
You saw that he talked about the kings of Persia and those different ones. He wasn't talking about the physical kings. He was talking about spiritual kings that were behind those kings in the spirit realm and how his prayer life was working in order to break systems, in order to get prayers to so that people could get revelation and God's people can get out of captivity. What does that have to do with us? Everything. Because we can't just, call, we can't just open a school if there are demonic forces. I believe that you can call it what you want. I remember in seminary, some of them are not territorial spirits. It's all through the Bible. It's all in the scriptures. Like, uh, I don't want to go back, go back to the spiritual warfare series and, and, and look back at the stuff. But behind a lot of disparages in this community is evil. It's spiritual forces that are fighting against people in this community being educated. You have to know that. The economic situation, it's evil spirits. By, why does, how do I know that? Because the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. What's, what's behind all of those different things? So if we start a school but don't deal with the spiritual issue, we, we, we're not doing this right. That means that when we deal with, when we start our school, we have to prayerfully start a school. Because you can start the school and it not even scratch the surface of impacting anything if we don't treat the spiritual issue behind it that's controlling the challenges that's happening within the thing we want to do. If we want to deal with the housing thing, 50% of the people in that community own, which is a crazy stat in a black community in, on the East Coast anywhere. 50% ownership is crazy, but then people want to come in and take it. That's demonic. How do I know? Because Isaiah 10 says it is. Woe is you who create wicked laws to deny the poor among you justice. That's in the Bible. And, and, and so, and so, but that also is evil behind it that's doing that. So what we're doing is more than just building and getting a facility. What we're trying to do is push up against darkness to show that God's kingdom to bring beauty and justice and glory to him is bigger than the enemy's kingdom. I'm by myself. But yeah, last thing, and I'm out your way. I keep going on that, but I got to go to the last point. Oh, no, 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 no. He said, we must lead a tranquil and quiet life. Let's stop right there. <clears throat> Leading a tranquil and quiet life doesn't mean docile Christians who don't fight for justice. Somebody say, see, that's what I hate about Christianity. Y'all don't do nothing. All y'all do is pray and mind your business. That's not what this text is saying. It's a tranquil and quiet life as a hendiatist pointing to being peacemakers. In other words, being a peacemaker means that you as a believer, it points back to Jesus' deal when he said it in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. But then Jesus talking about being a peacemaker points back to Jeremiah uh, 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 um, chapter uh, 29, verse 5, where he says, seek the peace of the city, for in its shalom you will find shalom. What is shalom? Shalom is the restoration of order. That's what it is. The restoration of godly order in a society. <clears throat> so living a tranquil and quiet life is the fact that believers are supposed to be the best expression of order in society. That's what it means. And so when we look at that reality of living a tranquil, tranquil life, <clears throat> that means because we're in a society that allows us to be activists. You couldn't be an activist with Caesar. It's chop, chop. You stand up in front of the, go up in front of the, the, like the Roman police if you want to, talking about playing NWA and see what happened to you. Right? You just, it, it's not even going to help because you're just going to keep getting martyred. It's not even going to help. <clears throat> but believers fought a different way. But now we have the ability to be able to, because of the way our structure is, is to have peaceful ways 
of engaging the structures of our society. But not only that, he says, in all godliness and dignity. <clears throat> and that points to having character in your witness in the way you peacemake. Because today we got people, you know, we just want to yell and cuss and act a fool. Back in the day, they, they, you know, our people, they, you know, people were a lot more dignified in their activism. You know, now the activism is grimy and dingy. And really, to be honest, no work's actually getting done. We're the most educated generation, but without the level of movement to move things forward. That's because it's spiritual as well. There's a lot of talk going on right now, a lot of articles and a lot of conferences. But what's actually really moving forward systemically? Because we're not treating it as a natural and a spiritual issue. But last but not least, we must, uh, 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 no, we must pray with gospel optimism. I'm just going to read this. He said, this is good, and it pleases God. What pleases God? To pray for people you don't like. Lord, have mercy. That's the law of Christ. <laughs> what, 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 what benefit is it you to pray for those who love you? Right? That's, man, them type of scriptures be having you messed up. Look at verse 4. It says, who wants, who wants everyone to be saved? This is not universalism. This is not universalism. When he says who wants everyone to be saved, it's talking about representative of all peoples out of all nations. Uh, 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 uh. Acts chapter 17. We got a lot of verses today. Y'all all right with that? Acts chapter 17, verse 16. I mean, uh, later on in the passage when he's preaching, we, God made a people out of all people. That's key. He made eight people out of all people. So when he says he, he wants everyone to be saved, God's going to have everyone saved out of all nations because he's going to have representatives, but all people won't be saved because it's not universalism. Right. Amen. So he says, who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? And so that reality, we must squelch even more. We, and, and, and particularly in minority communities, we have to continue to press forward with the reality that Christianity is not the white man's religion. Because we don't realize that Christianity being branded as the white man's religion among ethnic minorities, particularly African-Americans and Africans and Caribbean folk uh, 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 and black and brown people, it's impacted and really is a demonic philosophy because the, the gospel was never meant for one people. Matter of fact, it's not the black man's religion either. It's not just for one people group, it's for all people. I like the way my man Bantu says it. Bantu says it in his new book, uh, you got to get that book, Multitude of All Peoples. He said, Christianity is and has always been a global religion. For this reason, it is important never to think of Christianity as becoming global. He said, too many people, both Christian and non-Christian, still perceive Christianity as a white man's religion. He said, many contemporary missiologists uh, see, and church historians would have you believe that Christianity came to Africa and Asia from Europe. But actually, it went from Jerusalem to Africa to Asia and from Africa to Europe. In other words, Afri North Africa evangelized Europe. Europe didn't evangelize Africa. That's a new, that's only been in the last 500 years. Then he says, Christianity, listen, is not becoming a global religion. It has always been a global religion. Always. So it's for all peoples of all times. And so he says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus, who himself, who gave himself as a ransom, substitutionary atonement. Everybody had to come in that way. No matter what ethnicity you were, you had to have the wrath of God satisfied through Christ's death on the cross for you as a testimony at the proper time. He says, for this 
I was appointed as a herald. Last point, it's going to be quick. Men need to be more vocal in the right things in church gatherings. This is what he says. He says, therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. I'm going to stop right there. What he's saying is, is he's not saying women can't pray, because the Bible in 1 Corinthians 11 talks about that. What he's talking about is he wants men to come to the gathering with a hearty disposition, not for dissension, but a hearty disposition about being change agents and leaders. <clears throat> men, men, men shouldn't be looking around during worship, Amen. looking around and not talking, posted up cool, you know what I'm saying, with some Air Force, white, air, white on white Air Force One, fly a little skinny, light, lightly skinny, not fully skinny, you know, with, with your little situation on, and you post it up, you cool, but you ain't getting nothing out of the gathering because you're not involving yourself in it. And, and God didn't save you to punk out with him in gatherings. He, he saved you to engage in prayer. Like when it's time to pray, can I get somebody to pray? And all I hear first voice, Lord, we thank you. No, the first voice should pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus. I'm not down in sisters. We need some husky voices. Uh, 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 praying in the gathering. We, 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 need, we need men to stop being so goddamn passive. Forgive me for coming close to saying something I shouldn't. But we, we need the passivity of manhood. That's not your legacy. Because the God man is not a passive dude. He grabbed his cross. And if the master can grab his cross, so can you. And so, fellas, let's get at it for the glory of Jesus Christ and honor the living God. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm out your way. The Bible says in James chapter 5, 17, it says, Elijah prayed, and it rained for three years, and then he prayed again, and it's, I mean, stopped raining, and then he prayed again, and then it started raining again. But it doesn't tell the full story of what 1 Kings 8, 41 says. Because in Kings, 1 Kings 8.41, it said that he, he, he bent down and put his head between his legs and began to pray. Now, that was weird to me that a dude would do that, but he did that. I didn't understand it until I understood what was going on. He's had, he prayed seven times. He didn't, it didn't come the first time. He prayed seven times. And when he prayed the last time, Elijah, his disciple, said, I see a cloud the size of my hand coming over the sea, coming this way. And then he got up from his head between his legs. Why did he have his head between his legs? Why, he, why did he bend down with his, with his, like that in that type of position? That's called the fetal position. He saw his prayer as travailing and giving birth to something. Prayer, when taken seriously, y'all of Pentecostal church, they ran when they heard the word travail. Y'all don't know where y'all at. It's okay. We're going to get these buzzwords together so you can learn how to shout at the right time. Amen. Hallelujah. But that travail thing, Listen, when you're, push, when you're praying, see, many of us have only did the celebrate. Lord, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for your blessings in your life. God, bless everyone in the whole world. In Jesus' name, amen. We say the same thing we say, grace. Lord, we thank you for this food with the hands of prepared it. In Jesus' name, amen. But, but that's not the type of prayer that we're talking about. We're talking about God right now. You felt that, didn't you? See the difference? There's a different level of fervency and, mm, and then pressing in prayer and there being a timelessness to it because you're in God's presence and you're pressing. My prayer is, is that as a community, us as a church, that if what I'm saying today in this sermon seems strange to you, 
there's a, there's a gap in your intimacy. Because at times it sounds strange to me. And this is not to beat anybody up. You and I already have that. You don't have to work to have access to God. You already got it through Christ. You're not trying to work for it, but you can use it. And so my prayer is, is that we would see God change some stuff because we came together, men and women, going berserk in prayer and God knocking down age-old stuff in our city, strongholds in our city, evil in our city that has set up its place. And I believe we've been experiencing so much resistance with this building project is because the enemy knows what God has called us to do in that community, what God wants to do. And so we have to amp up our prayer because the prayer doesn't end when we get the building. It's just beginning, and we have to be a people of faith and look in the Bible and be educated by what happens when God's people move forward. You are always going to be resistance when you're on the battlefield for God. Father, we thank you. We bless you for the word of God that's able to give us wisdom and direction and peace. And Lord God, most of all, identity. We get our identity from you because we found union with Jesus. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.